Well, hello again. Welcome to everybody up in the Well Cafe that's joining us uh, from across campus. Like I said, it's so good to be in worship uh, with each and every one of you. And my name is Johnny, and I serve as one of your pastors here. Uh, and if this is your very first time with us, or maybe your first time in a long time, we want to hear from you. Uh, so uh, go by our connecting points just outside this worship space. We have a connecting point upstairs as well where we have friendly staff and volunteers that would love to meet you, get to know you a little bit, uh, share a small gift with you, and also answer any questions that you may have about us and the life of our church. Pastor David, who normally preaches this service, uh, is going to be out for uh, the next several days. He and his wife Stephanie are traveling across the pond to England, uh, so I know he would appreciate it. Uh, I would as well if you would join me in, in praying for them and the safety of their travels and that they return home safely to us again. We are in week four of five of our series called Faith in Hard Times, in which we're examining this tiny little book in the Old Testament called Habakkuk. It's a book that churches don't often venture into, if they do at all. Uh, so no worries if you don't know where it is and you need to use your table of contents to find it. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you today and you need a Bible, which you do, uh, here in the, in the chapel underneath the seat in front of you, there's a blue Bible. Up in the Well Cafe, there's a little rack uh, in the back of the room that you can grab one there as well. There's a little blue Bible there. If you didn't bring one with you because you don't own a Bible, we want you to take that blue Bible home with you. We believe everybody should have one. So uh, please accept that as our gift to you. Over the next two weeks, we're going to be focusing on chapter 3. This is the last chapter, chapter of Habakkuk. Like I said, it was a, it's a small one. There's only three chapters in it. And today I want to specifically zero in on just the very last verse of this very last chapter. So if you're using that little blue Bible, you can find uh, Habakkuk on uh, page 1466. Uh, that's Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 19. That's where we're going to be. If you've missed any or all of the previous sermons in this series, you can find them online on our website. I, we archive all of our messages there, and I hope you go back and check those out. But um, since you're here, uh, we're going to do a quick little reset to get us all on the same page. We do a series like this called Faith in Hard Times because I think we all understand sort of instinctually that uh, our life has hard times in it. We all go through them. Whether you've been through one, you're currently going through one, uh, or not, you, you know that they exist. You may know that it's coming uh, in your future. We also know as a church when we do a series like this that there are generally three categories of people in the congregation when we do a series called Faith in Hard Times. The first is this, those that show up and identify this as your reality. This is you right now. You would say that you're in the midst of a hard time. And this series could not uh, be timed more perfectly for you. And if that's you, I'm so glad that you're here. And I hope God speaks to you uh, some peace and, and, and some blessing, whether it's just through the music that you've heard, uh, through the prayer times, or maybe, maybe through the message. I hope God speaks to you. Uh, for others of you, you might not be going through a hard time yourself, but you know someone specifically who is close to you who is going through a hard time. And I hope that through this series, maybe you've found language to share with them, words to share with them. Also, maybe you felt the, the nudge of the Spirit um, leading you to invite them to church um, to hear the message here. Maybe leading them to the website to hear the archive messages, to hear a message of hope when hope is so desperately needed. And still others of you don't fit either one of these categories because life is pretty good right now. And if that's you, I want to invite you to write down on the back of your bulletin a, a little phrase that Pastor David shared in the first two weeks of this series. And it goes like this. You'll see it on the screen. 
and says, I may not need this today, but I will need this someday. I want you to write that down. It's really important to understand that even if you don't need this today, that someday you will. For a series like Faith in Hard Times, it's an invitation for all of us to lean in to what God may be speaking to us. Speaking to us that might uh, be relevant to our present circumstance or maybe for our future self. But it's an invitation for all of us to lean into what God may be speaking to us. And this is why we chose Habakkuk uh, as the vessel through which to explore this subject matter. Because Habakkuk was a prophet that lived in a particularly hard time. We've talked about this for a little bit, but for the benefit of those of you that missed it, here's a little bit of context. Quick very quick, I promise, historical context. Uh, Habakkuk lived in the 7th century B.C. in the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, at the time, the nation of Israel, which we've come to know through the scriptures, you know, with people like King David and King Solomon, after King Solomon died, that nation of Israel split in two. There was a northern kingdom, which was much smaller, called Israel, and then there was a much larger southern kingdom uh, called Judah, and that's where Habakkuk lived. Now, if you back up a century from when Habakkuk lived into the 8th century. Remember in B.C., we go, when we go backwards, the numbers go up, right? It's kind of confusing. Uh, but in the 8th century, the northern kingdom was invaded by the Assyrians and taken over and ruled by them. And then if we fast forward two centuries to the 6th century, uh, is when the Babylonians came and invaded the southern kingdom of Judah and took over there. And we find Habakkuk smack dab in the middle, only a few decades before the Babylonians Show up. So Habakkuk lives every day in this nation that he grew up to believe, that he had always been taught, was, was to be God's chosen people, right? Holy and set apart, and that they were to live as a nation to the glory of God and to shine God's glory throughout the land. And yet Habakkuk every day looks around and doesn't see that happening. He sees a nation that's split. He sees a government that is corrupt. He sees the northern kingdom that has been invaded uh, by the Assyrians. And Habakkuk knew that the southern kingdom was next. He knew that there was something out there that was coming for them. And he knew the fate that had befallen the northern kingdom was soon to happen to the southern kingdom. And what's worse about all of this is Habakkuk knew that he and his people were powerless to stop anything that was about to happen. This is the world Habakkuk lives in. It's a scary and violent world because there's this scary and violent force out there threatening each and every day. Habakkuk knows it's coming. He just can't see it yet. But he knows it's big. And it creates a lot of fear. And he, he can't do anything about it. So for the next two weeks, as we finish up this series, as we really examine chapter 3, what I want to, to, to pull out of this last chapter, which is a prayer of praise and petition by Habakkuk, after this dialogue that he has with God, I want to draw from this chapter two things that I think are really scarce in the midst of hard times. Two things that we really want to have uh, but are hard to find. And that is strength and that is joy. These are the two things that we want to talk about over the next two weeks. And this week specifically, we want to focus in on strength. What does it mean to have strength when we feel so powerless to change our circumstances around us? Where does that strength come from? And how do we use that strength? But before we get to all that, I want to do a quick poll uh, in the room and upstairs in the loft. And we're in a safe place, so feel free to raise your hand if you identify with this. 
Um, but how many of you in here would say that when you were a child, that you were scared of the dark? Go ahead, raise it. We're in the safe trust tree here. We can see around. You're among peers upstairs too. Raise it. Look around at everybody. Very good. Um, me too. Absolutely. Uh, some of you, I know you didn't raise your hand because you're thinking, what do you mean when I was a kid? Like, I'm still scared of the dark. <laughs> I know, it's okay. Some of you adults, some of you adults still jump from about two feet away from your bed at night because you're afraid there's something under there that's going to get you because you just finished watching The Walking Dead. Like, I know. And if that's you, don't raise your hand because that's embarrassing. So, but when I was a kid, I was definitely scared of the dark. I was afraid of the dark, right? I, I would go to bed, and my parents would come to read us a story and tuck us in, and they had to make sure that our, our nightlight was on in our room. We had to have music playing. Uh, my brother and I shared a room, and so on the nightstand in between us, we had the, uh, the little boombox there that played some music. I also had to have the room just right, too, right? The, the closet door needed to be closed to keep the monsters in there. But the room to my bedroom needed to be open just in case the monsters figured out how to open that door. Then I could exit quickly, right? I, if everything in my environment was just so, I felt safe. I felt secure. And with that music playing and the light on and all the proper doors open and closed, right, my mind could be quieted and calmed and I felt at peace and I could drift off to sleep. And everything was fine as long as I stayed asleep all night. But if I woke up in the middle of the night, I'd wake up and I would see that my nightlight is still on. I would see, thankfully, that the closet door was still closed. <laughs> I could see that the, room, the door to my bedroom was still open. But there was one problem, that the music wasn't playing anymore. Yeah, remember, you used to have to put a cassette tape in, and when the tape would run out, it would just stop. And I would wake up and it would be so quiet. And my sleepy little eyes, my sweet, sleepy little eyes would suddenly become really wide and alert and fearful and looking around the room. My imagination would begin to run wild. And as I looked out into the silence and the darkness, my mind would conjure up all the different ghouls and ghosts and villains that I had ever seen on TV or in movies or heard about in ghost stories. Actually, if you want to know the truth, a lot of the images that were conjured up in my mind came from the 1998 classic Beetlejuice, right? When I, <laughs> I don't know how at the age I was I saw that movie, but I saw it and I would see those scary, frightening images in my mind. I knew they were lurking out there in the darkness and I know they were just outside my room down this really scary hallway. To me, the darkness was full of all the worst things that my mind could think of. And even though my brother was right there, my younger brother was right there in, in the bed next to me, I was afraid and I was alone and I longed. I longed for my parents. Now in this house that I grew up in, uh, my parents' bedroom was adjacent to, to my bedroom uh, on the west side of the house down this long hallway. That was the only thing that was on that side of the house were our two bedrooms and the doors were on the same wall next to each other uh, and there was just a wall between us, and, I, and I, wanted to, I wanted my parents so badly because I knew if they would just be there that I would be safe. And, you know, they were big and they were strong and they could keep whatever was scary uh, away from me. But I dare not scream out because that would embarrass me. I might be waking up my brother and I don't want to admit that I'm scared, right? But I would just sit there and I would just wait and I would look. 
And I wouldn't want to close my eyes. I wouldn't want to go back to, my, to sleep because that's what those monsters wanted, right? They wanted me to close my eyes so they could come get me. Not that they couldn't come get me while I was already asleep, but now we all know. I know you're out there. You know I'm here. Like, we, it was a standoff, right? But finally, the fear would be so overwhelming that I didn't know what I was going to do. I was going to stay up all night, and I would think about my parents, and I would think about the strength that they had, and I'd think about the peace that I would have if they were just around And that little shred of hope that I had in being next to them gave me this tiny little bit of courage. But just enough to get out of my bed and to tiptoe toward my doorway. And as I stood at the edge of my room, peering down that dark, frightening hallway, my heart pounding, my breath short, I would take this giant breath and I would hold it. I would close my eyes and I would just dart as quick as I could right around the corner. And it was probably a solid two steps with my tiny little chicken legs before I would just swan dive into my parents' bedroom and land right between them in their bed. But as soon as I would hit the bed, as soon as I would get there, my fear just melted away. I felt this relief. I felt this calm and peace. And with my fears melted away, I would drift off into a very peaceful sleep. Although I'm pretty sure my parents didn't sleep peacefully after that moment, but they were gracious enough to let me be there. You see, even though I was afraid of whatever lurked in the darkness, even though it was big, bad, scary stuff that was out of my sight and my fear and my imagination is running wild, I knew ultimately my parents were just around the corner. I knew they were right over there and they were bigger than anything my imagination could conjure up. And when I was safe in their presence, I felt peace and I could rest again. Now, what I want you to remember about this story is this. When I dove into my parents' bed, as soon as I hit uh, their bed, all the lights in the house didn't flick on, right? As soon as I got into bed, it wasn't immediately morning. Even though I was in their bed and I felt at peace, the darkness was still very real. The darkness was still there. It was still surrounding me. It was still very present, but my fear was gone because I knew my parents were with me. Now, I think this is the situation in which Habakkuk finds himself. Habakkuk Habakkuk finds himself in a really tough spot, surrounded by really terrible circumstances. This nation that he loves so much is is split in two and corrupt. But it seems obvious to him that things are going to get worse. And not just worse, they're going to get way worse very soon. Because what was on the horizon, what lurked out there in the darkness, was even more frightening than his present circumstance. And we see that. We see the result of that in chapters 1 and 2, where this sort of explosion of emotion and fear that Habakkuk has when he prays to God, we can see, we can see the result of all that fear and, and anxiety that was building up in him. But ultimately, when we have that discussion, God reminds Habakkuk of who God is and how strong and big God is. And Habakkuk ultimately chooses to rest in the knowledge that God is bigger than anything that could come his way. He finds hope in knowing that God is a God of justice, and that hope gives him the courage to look into the future, to look at what might be coming his way, and to face it with strength. So in order to, to, to talk about this, I want to look at the very last verse of the very last chapter. Chapter 3, verse 19. Uh, you'll see it on the screen as well. And it says this. This is Habakkuk at the end of his prayer. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. 
and he enables me to tread on the heights. I'm going to draw your attention to a couple things here. First, in how Habakkuk addresses God at the end of his prayer. The supreme, uh, sorry, the sovereign Lord. Sovereign meaning supreme. No one higher. There's no one greater. There is no one like God. No ruler on earth that is bigger. Not even those rulers that seek to invade where we are and take over this land. Not even any ruler that feels like they can conquer the entire world. There is no one greater than God. And Habakkuk, as he closes this prayer, wants to address God with the truth that he sees. that There is no one bigger than God. Now, I would love to just end the sermon here. We could do communion, and then we could get out of here and beat everybody at the restaurants for lunch. That would be great. But I want to apologize for my curiosity, because as I read Scripture... I find things that, that make me question, and when that happens, I start digging, and then I find out things, and things become interesting, and then I start to think that you're, you're going to think it's interesting, and so then I start telling you about it, right? And so here we go. When I read the scripture, and let me add this in, next week we're going to dive even more into this because this scripture is so packed full of literary context as well. Uh, this particular verse, and, and if you include all of chapter 3, uh, there are so many connections throughout the rest of the Old Testament scripture that we're going to dive into uh, a little more next week. But I really want to talk more about this illustration uh, and, and why Habakkuk uses it. So when I think about strength, this is where my curiosity comes in, I don't think about deer. Right? You read that scripture again, right? Uh, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and he enables me to tread on the heights. You know, I don't think of deer when I think of strength, and much less, I don't think of deer's feet. Right? When I think about strength, I think of like bears, right? Big bear claws, right? I, I think of a lion, lion's mane and big gnarly teeth. That's strength to me, right? A deer... A deer is like fleet-footed and agile, but like skittish at the same time. A deer is how I would describe me when I was little and scared of the dark, right? Like, I'm a little skittish. Anything I see or think I see or hear, you know, makes me want to dart, but I was really small and agile and quick and fleet-footed. That's, that's a deer, but that doesn't mean strength to me. I want to show you a picture. Uh, this picture is of a Nubian ibex. Now, as you look at this picture, uh, I want you, to, want you to know that a Nubian ibex, an ibex in general, is actually much closer to a goat than a deer, uh, but you can see the resemblance and how far away it might resemble a deer. Actually, and when I found this picture that you're looking at, it was labeled antelope, <laughs> which is not an antelope. It's definitely an ibex. And, and uh, the Nubian ibex lives in the challenging desert mountainous regions of the Middle East. You can find them in Egypt. You can find them in Saudi Arabia and in Jordan. Uh, and you can find them in Israel. In fact, uh, there was a, um, a member of this church that was in, uh, in worship last night at Saturday night. And he came up to me and he's like, hey, I have pictures from when we, our church most recently went to Israel. I have pictures of Ibex that we took from, from the bus as we drove by that were just out there. They live in these challenging areas and, and in areas where uh, Habakkuk would have been living and writing. So Habakkuk would have been very familiar with this animal. Now I want to show you a video. Now, in this video, uh, you're going to see uh, what is known as an alpine ibex, which is a cousin of the Nubian ibex that lives in the European Alps. So it doesn't live in the Middle East. But what I want you to notice in this video uh, is the terrain on which the ibex is walking on. Now, 
this is a man-made dam, right? But they are walking on what seems to be almost a completely sheer vertical face. They walk around on terrain that no other animal can negotiate. Nothing else could do what the Ibex is doing right now. And if you really must know what they're doing, they're licking the salt off the dam, right? Like, they're all that trouble for a little bit of salt. And you can even see the little kid, the little baby Ibex doing the same thing. Now, the reason the Ibex does this, the reason that they go up to these steep heights, not just to lick salt off of things, uh, but especially for the Nubian Ibex that lives in the desert mountainous regions of the Middle East, what they do is they, they, they bring their, uh, their small babies up there, and they leave them there so that predators can't get them, right? Because nothing else can do what they do. And from, a, from the tiniest little aids, these little baby goats, these baby Ibex, have to learn how to negotiate that terrain, and they do. If you, uh, <laughs> if you want some, uh, some homework to do when you leave here after you're done eating lunch or maybe while you're eating lunch, just Google Nubian Ibex videos. Uh, there was a lot of really great ones that were just too long. I couldn't show you here. I didn't have all the time in the world. But go uh, do that. Number one, read your Bible. Number two, look up Ibex videos. Um, <laughs> but the same goes for the Nubian Ibex. Can you imagine somebody like Habakkuk without... Um, the blessing of Animal Planet or the Discovery Channel, walking out and seeing an animal like this, walking around in the places that it's walking around, on what seems to be a straight vertical face, and this animal that doesn't even have fingers, right? Nothing to grip. It's got hooves. How is this animal able to do what it's able to do? It must have looked like a complete miracle, What I think Habakkuk is doing here, um, amidst other things that we'll talk about next week, but one of the reasons he really wants to use this image as an image of strength is he really wants to affirm this truth that with God, the impossible becomes possible. That even the most steep, sheer rock face, that when you would look at it, you would think it's impossible for anything to scale that. And yet, and yet, God makes my feet like the feet of a deer that is able to tread upon the heights without fear. I'm able to climb over things that I myself or anybody else wouldn't think normally that I could. I am able to accomplish things that no one else is able to accomplish because of the strength of God. Now, I want you to hear me when we talk about faith in God who makes the possible things possible. I don't want you to misunderstand me in thinking that when I say possible, I mean easy. Faith doesn't make things easy, but it does make things possible. And when things are possible, when we know that there are possibilities, that creates hope in us. And where there is hope, we find courage. And when we have courage, we find strength. Now, I also don't want you to misunderstand me in knowing that uh, that we don't see strength in the size of our faith. Right? It's not the strength, uh, it's the size of our faith that matters. It is the size of the one in whom we put our faith where we find our strength. The strength is not our own. The strength is God's. And we put our faith in a God that is so big That the impossible becomes possible. 
that the seemingly most insurmountable circumstances can be miraculously conquered. The highest mountains can be scaled. So this is what I want us to write down as we, uh, as we near our, the end of our time together. You're going to see this slide on the screen. But I want you to write this down on the back of your bulletin and notes section. I want everybody to do this. My God is bigger than my, and I want you to fill in the blank. My God is bigger than my now, for some of you in this room, you have no idea what to put in there. You don't know yet. It's going to take some prayer, some real introspection to understand what is that impossible mountain? What is that impossible rock face that nobody could climb except for the strength of God? What is that thing? For some of you, you know a little bit. Your blank might say, worry. My God is bigger than my guilt. Or my shame. My God is bigger than my anger. My God is bigger than my anxiety. For others of you, it might be more specific. You might know exactly. You might know exactly what it is that causes that great fear and anxiety and anger in you. My God is greater than my alcoholism. My God is greater than my addiction. My God is greater than my depression. My God is greater than my divorce or my debt. I want this to be our prayer for the next few days. For those of you that are searching for what it is that, that blank is, let this over and over again resonate in your head. Seek God about that thing that you've buried away that you think is impossible to tackle. And pray a prayer that relies on God's strength and not solely your own. For those of you that were able to fill in the blank, I want your prayer for the coming days to be this. I'm strong because my God is strong. I'm strong because my God is strong. And my God is bigger than my fear. I want to close today with a reading from the Psalms. Chapter 46. It's a psalm meant to give courage and comfort to all who find themselves in the midst of hard times. And I want to do this for us in the form of a prayer. So as we close tonight, I want to ask everybody to close their eyes and bow their head as I read. And let this be our prayer together to God. Let's pray. God, you are our refuge and strength. An ever-present help in times of trouble. And because of that, we will not fear, even when the earth gives way beneath our feet and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though the waters roar and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where you dwell. God, you are there and you will not let it fall. You are there with every new morning. And though the nations uproar and kingdoms fall, you lift your voice and the earth melts. You are always with us because you are our fortress. We see what you have done throughout the ages. You make wars to cease. You break bows and shatter spears and you burn shields with fire. God, quiet our fears. Help us to be still. And know that you are God, that you are exalted among the nations and on earth. Remind us of your presence, O God, 
Remind us of your love and your grace. For you are our fortress. Amen.